Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton along with Dr. Brian Goff. Hello, Brian. Hello, Sheila. And Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hello. The energy is so high in the it's room so today. so high today. Because I have one of my favorite people in the world with me, Logan Lynn. Hi. And Gil. Hello, Gil. Gil's here too. Gil, the, his piano player, who is phenomenal, just been like tickling those ivories. <laughs> Totally. All morning long. <laughs> hey, no, they're ivory. <laughs> if you don't know Logan, he's an American musician, a writer, producer, filmmaker, a TV personality. But the way that I uh, fell in love with Logan was through his mental health advocacy. And um, at a time when my book was coming out on uh, my experience with losing someone to suicide, Logan was coming to me saying, we want to blow up how people talk about mental health, how they think about it. We want to normalize these conversations and we want to bring it out to where people are, which is like music concerts. And uh, bravo, friend, man, you did it. Bravo, we did it. I know. And, you know, since then, it's like everybody's doing it. Yeah. And we had a little part in that too. (laughs) Yeah. It's good. It's contagious, which was the point, right? Right. We thought, well, let's plant a seed and let's watch that seed grow. And we watered it and it grew. Yeah. I mean, I'll never forget one of the most spectacular moments of my life was we were at this huge concert and all these bands have been like getting up, you know, holding up signs about fight stigma and, and let's talk about mental health. And this this girl came to me and she was very, very thin. And she said, um, thank you so much for doing this. I think that you made mental health cool. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's such wow. a great way to think about it. But she said, it, you also like saved my life. Wow. Because she hadn't thought in the realm of being able to, to ever think about her own existence as something other than a solitary, painful thing. And when she learned that lots of people suffer and lots of people learn how to get through it, she was like, okay, good. I'm good. I'm going to figure this out. So, yeah, that's great. So, Logan, yeah. I know your story so well. Right. And um, <laughs> I want to bring people kind of up to date sure. on it. Um, you grew up in a really, really religious family. I did, yes. And um, part of, I think, the original trauma that you had to deal with was being sexually abused by um, a very, very close friend yep. of your family. Yeah. Would you just like, give people the context where you were, your sure. parents' relationship, yeah. how that all came down? Of course. Yeah. So I was born into the Church of Christ. The you know it's a church where uh, instruments are not allowed, only acapella music. So I, I you know one good thing that happened was I learned how to sing. Um, but it was a really oppressive environment, anti-gay. I was a gay kid, uh, and it just wasn't great. My dad was a preacher, and and we were in essence sort of Christian royalty. You know, traveling around, he was a, um, a minister that was on the road doing strong family seminars, and and in that shuffle, I got kind of lost, and in in my getting lost, I got injured. Um, you know, I guess one would say it was a sexual injury. I actually think it was a spiritual injury. Mm. Um, but an adult that was uh, close to my family really hurt me, and and really twisted up my spirituality in a way as that uh, injury was being inflicted. It took me a really long time to undo all of that. Um, and that was the, the basis of, of why I started using drugs really early, why I was drinking, why I wanted to hurt myself, why I didn't want to be here. So all of that, you know, uh, as I've gotten well in my adulthood and, and really explored all of that, um, that really 
the, that getting lost in the shuffle, uh, I think, is the root. Yeah. Brian, we were talking earlier about your background in a very Pentecostal, no? No, no, no. Uh, sort of the opposite. Uh, brethren, Plymouth Brethren. Plymouth Brethren. Yes. Same idea. Very, very um, strict, rigid. Yeah. And um, I think that there is got to be a lot of people who are interested in listening to this today who are like, do you think that it is ever going to be okay to be a Christian and also be gay, be different, be a person who believes in uh, plurality and gray areas? Yeah. Yeah. The that I mean, this is probably right at the heart of, I mean, it's interesting that the church spends so much time talking about personal morality instead of social morality, mm. when at least by my account, um, uh, both in both in the first part of the Bible and then the part where Jesus sort of shows up, uh, things like the marginalized and the immigrant and the foreigner and the poor and the widow and the orphan and caring for the marginalized. Uh, that is the predominant story. Uh, but somehow we've picked out um, issues like homosexuality to be the focus or the, 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 the mark of morality, I guess. And Jenna, you know, I'm always very conscientious of this, that a lot of people who suffer from mental health problems are from marginalized communities. They have been given a message for a lot of their lives that says, you're different, you're not okay. Yeah, well, what I would say is humans suffer from psychological difficulties, and then the humans of us who are more marginalized have more difficulty because they don't have access to the same social supports and resources that the other humans of us who suffer with psychological difficulties have. And so I wouldn't make the distinction that if you're marginalized, you're more likely to be quote unquote mentally ill. It's just if you're from a marginalized community, that's going to be an added burden to you in yeah. addition to being a human. So Logan, take people through um, the years um, when you ended up on the street. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was tough because uh, I got outed by a therapist when I was really young. I had gone to uh, I was feeling suicidal because I knew that I was gay. I knew that I was in love with this boy at school. I knew that um, I was going to bring my whole family to hell with me if I continued with that. Right. So I was really upset, but but was like couldn't really do it because also that would bring my whole family to hell. Like it was like this thing of like my life puts us in hell. My death puts us in hell. Wow. So I was in that space as a 14 year old. Wow. Um, and uh, on the way out, so he outed me to my parents, my boyfriend at the time, my first boyfriend who I'd been seeing for a while, very quietly, also in high school, had just turned 18. And so this man said, we're going to call the police. And on my way home uh, from the therapist's office, I flew the car door open and I tried to exit uh, on the freeway. My dad grabbed me, somehow got us to safety. And from, from that point on, um, it was really tough. I think that was the turning point in our family. Uh, my parents made a deal that night that if I went to live with another family in Tennessee, he wouldn't get in trouble. My boyfriend wouldn't go to jail. And we did that. I, I left that following morning to live in Jackson, Tennessee and go to a Christian school uh, away from my family, away from my boyfriend. Uh, and nobody really talked about why I was going away. It was like I came out and I left. Wow. And when I came home, I was a drug addict. 
Yeah, that uh, kind of follows. Kind of makes, yeah. <laughs> makes yeah, total sense. Yeah, you medicate sense. situations totally. like that. You, um, how did you end up getting to Portland? Well, my family kind of moved here uh, in the mid '90s, and I I was in a process of following my family around, and you know came out here. We we kept having these fresh starts together, right? There was a fresh start in Kansas City, a fresh start here, but I was still the same me everywhere we went, and so. It never really started over, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I, I get here and I'm still medicating. I'm kicked out of my home for the umpteenth time. I, I don't have insurance, can't go to rehab. Uh, and I, you know, navigated the streets of Portland for years in and out of housing, uh, in and out of safety, um, and traumatized myself over and over and over by... Um, by trying to feel what had hurt me originally, like mm. it, I was in a trauma reenactment cycle that ended up making more trauma that I had to reenact. And it was just like never ending. Wow. But I did land in the hospital at one point and, and, um, got, got help. And, uh, I remember you telling me about something that the therapist said to you when you finally got a good therapist. Yeah, I mean, I I finally landed in a dual diagnosis rehab. Yeah. You know, they had been treating me like you go to ninety meetings in ninety days. It's gonna be cool. Just pray or like all this stuff. Like none of it worked. I'm totally on drugs. I want to die. Give me some kind of care that meets that. So I got to yeah. this rehab that was dual diagnosis, and the therapist leaned in and said, "Dude, did you choose this? Did you want this? Did you did you decide to ruin every relationship in your life? Did you decide to be homeless and destroy every?" thing mm. and I in that moment was so angry I was like no like how dare you ask me of course I didn't choose this and he leaned in and said well, then what has happened to you and that started a process of um, going back in time and, and thinking about that and, and undoing all of the reenactments and tracing it back to um, my original injury wow do it that I I'm just struck by um, this idea of our bias, our misconception, a lot of the pain that we inflict on other people or who are suffering is because people do think they choose it just because right. you actually do have to inject or you do have to pop the pill or you do have to take the drink, that it's a choice. How can we as a, a community of people who want to support other people start reframing that? I think that question that your therapist asked is just a brilliant one. Like, who... Who would actually choose to wake up and say, you know what, I think I would like to be a heroin addict yeah. or I think I would right. like to, you know, whatever the struggle is that that you're having. There's always something that goes before that. Right. And so a lot of times being able to understand that there's a reason why people are doing the things that they do can help break that cycle then. So um, I know I want to fast forward, but. Were you doing all of this behavior at the same time that you were touring with the Dandy Warhols? No, that happened later. But, oh, okay. Because <laughs> I was just that, like, you're pretty capable. <laughs> well, I was always a very high-functioning drug addict. So that, wow. that was because I had to be. And it was always on the rails until the moment it wasn't, and then it was all the way off the rails. But um, I survived by being functional. Um, Dandies found me on the streets that that's that's the connection is I you know I was playing music I was going to La Luna queer night to meet men that I could maybe have a safe night 
spending with um, at their homes and instead met Elliot Smith and Zia McCabe and, and the Dandy Whirls and Dan Reed and all these old um, Portland music people before they were famous. Wow. And I was little and I had a drum machine and some good songs and they shepherded me in my career. And, and you know, I won't lie, we partied a lot. That was it's, also <laughs> it's, it's, it's like kind of part and parcel with where, what the times were, where yeah. you were at, and what the music industry kind of it was nineties weird way kind of suggests. Right? Well, yeah, and I the reason I got those early record deals was because I was young, I was a young kid doing hard drugs and singing about it. Like wow. that's that's why I was a commodity. That's what made me stand out. And I actually am really angry about that in retrospect. Like I was seventeen. Somebody should have said, hey, bro, like maybe get a stage name if you're going to do this. Like and any of those things that have affected my life in the year, in the 20 years since that initial deal, um, I have been navigating this myself. So so wow. it's been messy. But um, I do I do think that the music industry has changed a little, but only in genre. Like mm. now the young kids that are on drugs that they're celebrating are in hip hop and dying around that age, right? right. But, but in the 90s, it was very much rock and roll and electroclash, and, and it fit the bill. Yeah. I want to take to where we are now with your music career because you've been doing a ton of work. You had um, your your last album. Now you're doing soundtrack work. Yeah. You're, um, is it, are you going to play something for us? I can, oh, yes. I would totally love it. To, yeah. so, so talk about the song that you're going to sing, and then I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing for all of the soundtracking for Netflix. Sure, sure. Uh, this song's called Big City Now, uh, and I wrote it for my, my record, My Movie Star, and it's about uh, being seen and, and really wanting to still... Uh, be relevant and and matter. You know, I I wrote it about um, how I feel. This record is wildly um, intimate. I usually have techno music behind me and and I'm a dance pop guy singing kind of um, problematic things. And now I'm singing less problematic things with less to hide behind. Mm, (laughs) Yeah. It's just as freaky. (laughs) I love it. Shall we we do it? Let's do it. I want to be bright light Big city now I wanna be bright light I wanna be bright light Big city now I wanna be bright light Now Now I want to know I matter to you somehow. I want to know I matter. I want to know I still matter to you somehow. I want to know I matter.
from that wow. so Thank much yeah. I want to be so brand good. new wow who doesn't right so yeah. good and it's not it's not just about like do we want to be brand new with our skin and our outlook we actually want to be brand new with our minds you know mm. I, I love that line it is like having a beginner's mind I think I think staying in recovery must be like having a beginner's mind every single day yeah, it's a, I, you know, I'm not a one day at a time kind of recovery guy. I yeah. do uh, cognitive behavioral health. I'm not in any kind of program, but there is an element of accepting my reality every morning and, and sort of being like, all right, there's a dog. You love the dog. You can get out of bed. Oh, you're going to go <laughs> sing a song. You love music. You love Sheila. Go do it, right? Like yeah. there's a little bit of, um, of starting over every day and accepting that I'm here yeah. and, and then building my day around that. How, mu- how much does that resonate with you, Jenna? Oh, yeah, that absolutely resonates, both both as a human being and yeah. as a therapist. Yeah, just that totally. idea of you wake up every day and you are reminded of the things that are important to you, the reason why you would get out of bed. Yeah. I was talking with um, Logan about medication, and um, he's had some really rough run-ins with medication, too much medication. And uh, you worked with someone, right, to help you really pare pare back down. Yeah, over years I taped. So I was on, just because of my trauma and the reenactment stuff, like I couldn't actually focus on therapy. I I was in a PTSD or I actually think I was in PTSE where it was like my entire experience and environment was post-traumatic. It was not even like, it was just a thing. It was like where I lived. So um, I... I met somebody who said, have you ever tried mar- medical marijuana? Yeah. And I said, like, weed? Uh, like, I had party. You know, I, I didn't really get it. You're like, all the time. Right? Yeah. I actually sure. hadn't. Though, right? Like, that wasn't my drug of choice. Oh. So I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, maybe in, like, early middle school. So I, I said no, but I, I started um, thinking about alternative sort of natural methods because all of the medicine I was on wasn't helping. It was not enough or it was it had to totally be put all the way out for yeah. it to work. So tapered over years and I'm on nothing now. I, you know, I'm on no antidepressants. I'm on no antipsychotics. I'm on <sighs> nothing except for CBD pen and medical marijuana as needed. And it's been, I'm about to have uh, 12 years in recovery from crack addiction. That's wow. so it's, uh, One of it's the things. hardest yeah. things ever. Clapping. I mean, yeah. um, no, 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 I'm not quiet no, clapping. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> We're on the yeah. radio. Um, but I, you know, it is, it's a thing that I wish more people um, would explore. As with any medication, marijuana is not going to be conducive for everybody's recovery. Yeah. can send certain people out into, um, you know, making their mental health condition worse, as with any medication. Right. My experience was 
that it really helped me. My family, if, if you asked my family what they're most thankful for in my recovery, I think they might all say <laughs> marijuana. Wow. Because and, it just, wow. It, it's the one thing that when you really, the other tools aren't working, it really works to calm you. It brought me back to, I'm myself, man. It wow. brought me back to being myself. And, and it's not a regulation thing where I'm like, ah, I'm not myself. I got to make myself. Uh. Yeah. It's a thing where I'm always myself because of the level of marijuana in my system, I, I assume. Uh, and as needed, I do CBD pen because I do still have moments where I'm like totally triggered yeah. and need something to take me out. But but it doesn't take me out of my life. It takes me out of the trauma. Uh. And some of those like fizzy, I used to call them fizzies. I don't know what they're actually called. It was a pill that dissolved under my tongue. It was, and those fizzies <laughs> did, they I, did I'm the sure. trick too. But like I was out for two days. Right. What, what, what might he be talking about a fizzy? It was it a psychotropic? It was an antipsychotic. Oh god! And it was oh, a, a, wow. I'll, that stuff I'll look is it so up. Powerful. I have it written down. It's yeah. so powerful. It wasn't great for me, and it, it. But I needed it at the time, and so I'm also I'm not anti-medication. I hope people who are on medication aren't hearing me like say anti-medication things. For me, uh, it was a mix that worked. But you know, I do think um, Jenna's doing a lot of clinical work and research at her at her at Portland Psychotherapy, looking at the use of psilocybin and other uh, drugs. To to help people. Why do we have to stay open and flexible about this process of what actually works for people? Yeah, I, I mean, well, just to clarify, we're in the process of doing research, or, you know, getting a clinical trial, hopefully up and running on psilocybin uh, for PTSD, um, hopefully. Um, but, you know, FDA is... Still trombone noise. Slow on that. (laughs) 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 But I do. But I think your point is really well taken that it isn't that one thing is good and one thing is bad. It's lots of different tools are going to work for lots of different people. And unfortunately, the message that's kind of been sold because they're the folks that have the largest money to sell the message is that big pharma is the only answer for psychological suffering. And it is for many people helpful. And it's not for a lot of people as well. Yeah. And it was helpful for me at one point, right? Like I would never have gotten to the marijuana point if they hadn't said, Hey, crack addict mm. take naltrexone right to sure. take your sure. your cravings away right yeah absolutely. I, th- I think that you know a lot of the discussion right now just because many more industrialized countries have been down this route a lot longer than we have and they've actually begun tapering people off of the drugs our outcome for people on psychotropic medication is the worst in the industrialized nations right. we have more disability we have higher costs we have people who are much much sicker because our psychiatric loads are so much heavier for such a longer period of time so in many ways what happened to you even though it was too long because you suffered that that intense period of getting you stabilized yeah. and then sort of a weeding off, but you did it instinctively. That's what right. I think is super cool is nobody said we're going to help you with this process. It was kind of like Logan said, I got I got to figure this out. I, I, I need some help getting off this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it's not that the psychotropics are what account for so much of our difficulty here in the States with with mental health recovery, it's that we use that as the only thing. thing we right. think, okay, we're going to give you this and then you're going to be out of our hair right. versus, right. okay, this might help kind of get you on your feet and then we need to access some of the social resources right. and other resources right. to help people. And, and to your point, is- sorry, sorry, to your point, the reason that we 
that it is worse is because when they don't get those resources, right. then they layer another medication and another le- medication absolutely. until it actually is a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was just going to say, how often, Jenna, is it your experience where someone will come to you and, and their backstory is, I went to my primary care physician mm-hmm. with some complaint. I got an SSRI. It made me a little bit worse. We tapered off. I tried something else. I mean, sometimes clearly, like we've been saying, sometimes people take a medication and things get better like that. That's helpful. But in, but in many cases, it's the primary care physician writing a script and then maybe writing a second script and then eventually saying this isn't working. Maybe you should go to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. Yeah. oh, is that right? Is that how the process? It's not like I mean, sometimes here I is a, here's a script and here's a good therapist. It seems like that should be what you no. <laughs> Here's a pill. This my, wow. That was my experience. And, and I would say a lot of the people that I have encouraged to seek help, that's been their experience as well. I will uh, just to kind of give a shout out to my colleagues who are in behavioral mental health. I do think there's a huge movement now to include um, therapists, psychologists within primary care clinics yes. so that there isn't that kind of even if your your primary care physician uh, provider gives you like, hey, call this therapist, that's a whole nother step that's versus right. if there's a psychologist there there who can come in yeah. at that moment, that's a really, really great well, way. The, so and wonderful. The data, for, on that, yeah. the data on that's really clear yeah. that when primary care physicians do make a referral to go see a therapist, even if they give them a name, which in many cases they don't, they sure. say go see a therapist, even when they do... Um, People do that just a fraction of the time because they have to say yes. But if you have somebody in behavioral mental health who's actually in the clinic there who's a psychologist or a therapist, Mm -hmm. then you have to say no because the question really is, hey, Jenna's here. Right. Would you mind speaking with her for a moment? Wow. Exactly. And you can just and the therapist can walk right in or the, the behavioral health expert can walk right in and and have a conversation that's with the so, person. That's really Yeah, really and good very point. often then I will get referrals from the psychologist that's working right. in behavioral mental health yeah. in a primary care center. So yeah. I think that's a really that is, hopefully a new trend. That is changing yes. the that is changing yeah. the course of things. Yeah. But I but I think there's still the 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 history that we have is yes. um, you know, and this is the trickle down from if you're struggling there's something wrong with you. Right. So if you're not happy enough or you're anxious or you're sad or you get angry or you can't keep an erection or you have a bald spot or whatever it yeah. is, have a pill because you're not right. You need to get right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just look at our language, like you'll notice that I, I almost always change it to psychological suffering as opposed to mental illness. Uh-huh. Because mm-hmm. if right. you have an illness, the thing to do is to take a pill to fix your illness. Yeah. It's, kind of the thing to do. If we thought about this as, yeah, being a human with a human mind causes Mm -hmm. psychological suffering. It also causes a lot of really amazing things, but it causes a lot of suffering too. And sometimes we need resources to help with that suffering of being a human. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes say to people that I work with, if you take the the seven or eight most commonly, quote, air quotes here, if you could see it, commonly diagnosed (laughs) mental health disorders and look at base rates of those things, we're talking about 50% of us humans meet one of those eight meet criteria for one of those eight disorders at some point in their life. 50%, not counting things like I get really stressed at work. I can't sleep sometimes at night. 
I'm having significant relationship difficulties. I get really angry. Yeah. yeah. When like the majority of us are supposedly ill, maybe we're not ill. Maybe we're just human. And this is what <laughs> right. it feels like to be a person. Well, it's also right. like the body's response. I think about Logan as a young kid. If you look at pictures of Logan, he was just like this beautiful, mm-hmm. willowy, creative, expressive soul to have that trauma on that body yes. and Absolutely. that mind at that age. That's not just suffering. That's like a trauma that actually needs to be attended to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you about what you're doing now because you've been telling me about this (laughs) incredible uh, thing you're doing with Portugal the Man. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been building. uh, I I came in a year ago to help Portugal the Man. Um, You know, I don't know if everybody knows this, but they're a band. They just won a Grammy a couple years ago. They're a band who really cares about the world and, and particularly around mental health and the environment and human rights and um, and indigenous people's rights specifically. So I came in, they're already doing all this social ju- social justice work, advocacy work. Uh, I came in to help them organize it and we've been launching uh, the, their own foundation, which will happen sometime this fall. But so cool. it's been really exciting. It feels like, uh, you know, our big dream for the world that yeah. we were always trying to make happen yeah. and, and it's not connected to um, a nonprofit that's maybe struggling with funding every now and then, you know, like every time I've done this for the last 20 years, it's always been, um, with very, um, sort of out of nowhere with very limited funding. And this is an already existing thing. It's a commitment that the band has. So it's been really fun to, to build with them. And then September 7th, yes. right? You're going to be at um, a suicide prevention, big, huge music festival, uh, raising awareness for veterans. Yeah. Correct? Veterans, mental health. Uh, we've got six different uh, local veterans organizations working together. It's called PDXB there. It's me and Dame Dalla, Damian Lillard. Uh, I want to hear Dame Dalla in person. Totally. It's going to be so fun. And we're going to give away some tickets. So if you go to the uh, Beyond Well page now, you can look for how to win free tickets, free VIP tickets to meet Damien. Uh, But it's going to be cool, you know, and I'm going to get up there with Gil and do this quiet piano song thing uh, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I haven't, you know, we haven't really done this before. (laughs) This is the second time we've played that song in front of people today. It sounds so awesome. It's going to be fun. I, I also just really love it because at a time when so much music is layering onto more and more and more and more fireworks and more synth and more auto-tune. I'm just like, thank God. That's a guy in his voice just telling a story. (laughs) I like that. Thank you. That was the idea. I've been so loud and so wild and so something uh, that I wanted to quiet down. Logan, I love you so much. It's so good to see you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for coming in and your great work. It's really wonderful. Thanks. 